Are you in Toronto or where are you You working out in Toronto? Yeah, yeah, I'm here right now. I'll probably go down. I'm going to be doing uh, going down to Florida uh, in about two weeks, a little bit okay. more than that. Yeah. And you'll go down for the season or what's the plan? You know, uh, I don't know. Still TBD. We'll see what happens, but probably at least for the start of the regular season and uh, and then we'll see how it goes. All right. So last year was Buffalo. Yeah. This year it's Florida. Yeah, at least to start nice. off. To start off with. Um, and not to give it away any state secrets, but uh, uh, do you have assurances or no that, that you'll be back in Toronto? Uh, I mean, not, not nothing that we've like asked for or, uh, you know, nothing that's that's been committed at this stage. I think we're, you know, hopeful that we'll be back uh, here sooner rather than later. But, you know, we've kind of been deferential to public health. Um, we know that uh, there's definitely at least right now other priorities, but um, also signs, signs for uh, optimism. So nice. Yeah. Perfect. So the executive VP of business operations. Yeah. Tell me about the role. What does that entail? Yeah. So uh, I'm one of like two uh, senior business leaders that kind of oversee business operations, uh, which is <clears throat> everything from uh, revenue generation, so ticket sales and uh, sponsorships uh, to marketing communications, um, our uh, kind of administrative functions like HR, technology, um, analytics uh, on the business side and uh, operations. So like, you know, building operations, game operations, um, all of that kind of constitutes uh, business operations. Uh, the other part of the business or the organization is, uh, is baseball operations, which is like everything under Ross Atkins. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, that's an overview of business operations. So I, I oversee, uh, jointly, uh, with, uh, another individual, Marty Starkman, uh, the business side. Wow. So everything outside of the field is your, yours. In, is it Marty? Marty. Yeah. Yours and Marnie's purview. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's, 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 that's big responsibility. <laughs> did you grow up a baseball fan, a Blue Jays fan? I did. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, definitely like early sports memories of, uh, I grew up in Vancouver, so I was a big Canucks okay. fan, uh, big Canucks fan and, uh, a Blue Jays fan, you know, was definitely followed the Mariners too. That was like when, uh, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, yeah. uh, was still a young guy, but, uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely grew up following baseball, hockey. I was, I was kind of a gen sports generalist as I like to call myself. Um, but, but a big sports fan. Nice. Wait, when you first started interviewing with the blue Jays, um, did you just sort of, you know, go online and start, Hey, what are, what are the historical high points? What do I need to make sure I know? Um, not really. I mean, honestly, I, um, I did not do much research on team history. I, I did, I looked more at, you know, when I joined, I, I started, um, opening day of 2017 was my first day, uh, on the job. And I joined to start the, uh, strategy and business analytics function. So my role was a little bit different at that time. And it was, uh, soon after, you know, Mark Shapiro had joined and the head of business operations at the time, Andrew Miller, um, had joined and a lot of the focus on both the business and baseball side was on, okay, it looks like a new leadership team coming in and, um, you know, new priorities. And, and on the business side, one of the big priorities was, um, you know, how do we use data and information to make decisions the same way that that has occurred for uh, a period of time on the baseball side and how do we, you know, replicate on that, that on the business side. Um, and so that was, that was kind of what I initially came in for. And so, you know, a lot of the prep I did was more around, okay, like, you know, what, what can I learn about uh, Mark uh, Shapiro and um, you know, both based on what he said and, and what I've seen out there on, you know, his leadership philosophy, what, you know, what he was saying were priorities coming in um, and just trying to get 
uh, a sense of you know what was uh, what were the big priorities at the time and how did my experiences and, and skill set align to that? Like, how could I help the organization? Um, less so on uh, on kind of historical moments, but sure, uh, sure, sure, came up along the way for sure. Can we go back to twenty twenty last year? Sure. Yeah. Um, when when did you guys get a sense that something was up that was going to need at the very least need your attention um it's it's really like i mean i've reflected on this a few times it's really interesting and crazy to think about like how quickly it progressed from just being like a thing on the news you're like okay you know there's something going on in china yeah to the first few cases here. Um, and I remember I, I was actually doing quite a lot of travel at the time, late February, early March, uh, for work, um, and, uh, some personal too. And it was this weird period of time where, you know, people were starting to get concerned, but not, but it was still fine to, you know, nothing had, had, uh, kind of shut down yet. And, um, so I, I was initially uh, in spring training and we opened TD ballpark and around that time it was like, okay, you know, we probably need to think about COVID and, you know, probably need some kind of a, a plan in place. This was like pre pre spring training um, wow. going into spring training, you know, it was like, okay, like it feels like we're probably going to need to have some kind of a response. And um, it was still like, you know, not very well understood. I mean, uh, if you think back to how quickly it progressed from, you know, even like early February to late February, which is kind of around mm -hmm. the time frame of spring training that we're talking about. And from there, it kind of, you know, every day it kind of escalated in terms of, uh, okay, it feels like probably need to be spending a little bit more time on this, you know, could have, you know, more implications than we thought initially. Um, to, uh, I, I actually left spring training, uh, before, uh, you know, before the world shut down and I had another business trip and, uh, it was, uh, an MLB meeting. It was like an MLB, uh, industry meeting. And, and I remember talking about this with other colleagues and just asking them like, Hey, how are you guys planning for this? And it was, um, you know, kind of a mixed bag at that point too. So this would have been like late, you know, late February, um, yeah. when late February where people were like, I mean, it's definitely on the radar, but we're not really sure. And not really sure how, if it will have an impact or how big of an impact, um, wow. you know, from that, um, that was around the time it started to escalate. And, uh, I remember flying back from Boston and it was definitely at that point, it was like, okay, like, you know, this is more serious than, uh, than people thought. Uh, and then I remember, you know, when obviously the Rudy Gobert, uh, incident yeah. and, then, and the NBA shut down. And at that point, I mean, we were all thinking like, okay, you know, this could be bad, like this might impact demand. Um, but until that happened, I don't think anyone really, um, not just in the sports industry, but I, I think probably many of us just as, you know, citizens, I don't think realized kind of the, the, the gravity of it. And then, you know, when, when the NBA shut down and then everything kind of started uh, closing was when um, I think it really sunk in. Um, but we had, at that point, we had been, you know, starting to think about plans. I think the challenge then and um, somewhat frustratingly still continues to be the case is, you know, so much of what you can plan for is, uh, or, or would like to plan for is out of your control. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, um, that's, that's been one of the sayings I've said a lot this year is, you know, at the end, you just kind of have to focus on what you can control and be, be satisfied that that's all you can do. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was, uh, it felt at that time, it was like, you know, every 24 hours, like something was changing, like, you know, it went from, okay, you know, spring training is going to be fine. Yeah. Like, 
you know, it seems like it's bad, but we're not going to close down spring training. It's like, oh, now spring training is closed down. The season's not going to get delayed. There's no way that's going to happen. You know, nobody thought that that, but then it's like, okay, now that's closed. And um, it felt like at that time, it was like every 24 to 48 hours, you know, something changed. And uh, it was like, it was constant, you know, both government regulations and MLB changing its kind of stance and, 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 and reaction. So it was a, it was a crazy kind of period where um, we were just, you know, you're just trying to react at that point. Um, I think that was, that probably was the first month, like just reacting to um, how quickly things change. And now I think there's a similar amount of uncertainty. We're just a little bit more used to dealing with it and have a little bit more time. It's not changing as fast. Um, so it's a little bit easier to navigate, but still a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Was it your responsibility or where were you involved? Cause I remember, you know, listening to sports radio and it's like, okay, there's the Jays are looking at, you know, it seemed like a half a dozen options. Are they going to play in Dunedin? Are they going to play in Buffalo? Oh, they're, you know, I can't remember which city it was there. They might, they might share a ballpark with another team. Yes. Um, were you involved at that, that at, at, with those discussions and, and how frustrating that must have been. Yeah. I mean, it was certainly like a unique set of circumstances that only we had to deal with in, in baseball. Um, and at the time, you know, I think, uh, at the time, at least it was, uh, we were the only sport like really going through it. Um, and, uh, um, cause the other ones were kind of in playoff bubbles and it was, you know, you didn't have to, the teams didn't have to figure it out. So for us, I mean, it was, it was, it's proven to be the model that makes sense for running a regular season. Like you couldn't put 30 teams into a bubble and like, there's not enough, uh, there's not enough venue time to get all the games in, in one, one place. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a crazy period. We, uh, we were kind of going through the different alternatives and, uh, you know, it was, um, it was, a, I mean, in retrospect, it was a really cool experience to have gone through, but it was, it was sure. you, know, you know, stressful and frustrating. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it was, it was just trying to control what you can control, right. It's like, you know, what, you know, what are the set of options? Um, and then what are the things we can work on? But, you know, in the end it was, um, is, is the local government in that area going to be supportive, you know, is, the, the facility going to have the right amount of space required to accommodate the different protocols that, you know, we're going to have to accommodate. Um, what does that mean logistically for travel or, or anything else? Like a lot of different variables, um, you know, obviously going when, and at that time, like, is this in a COVID hotspot? Is it not, you know, those are all kind of factors um, that were considered as we, uh, as we looked at the different um, facilities and, certainly like, you know, factoring in what, uh, what was important uh, to the players as well in terms of, you know, their, uh, you know, player facilities and, and, and amenities as well. Was there ever discussion that because you couldn't play in Toronto, that would the Blue Jays play at all during the season? No, I don't think that was, I don't think that was ever an option or, you know, a question. It was just more like, what is, how do we make this the best possible environment given the circumstances? Um, yeah. you know, that was, that was really the objective. And, um, you know, obviously it has competitive implications, right. And we're, we're, we're the only ones in that situation. Everyone else is dealing with the pandemic, but at least living at, in their own homes and, and playing in familiar, yeah. uh, familiar territory. So. Did you ever have conversations with, uh, the Raptors, right? They were the only other team, maybe besides the Blue Jays in North America, that were "quote unquote" homeless, right? Not not being able to play at home. You guys had a, you know, I guess you guys had a home, something that some of the players might have been familiar with. But I guess over a season, maybe you get comfortable because you go to something that's, you know, more familiar than than playing away. But I'm wondering if there was any conversations and any learnings that you guys took from each other. Uh, there were, there have been, and and we've 
obviously been in, in close contact throughout. I think, you know, at, initially we um, didn't have as much to compare notes on because like the NBA went into the bubble um, and everyone went to, I think it was Orlando, right? Um, they weren't, they didn't have that problem. They, they weren't thinking about the Canadian border or finding a home. Both of those two things were kind of solved for. They were, they were dealing with everything else, obviously. Um, you know, but we have shared notes along the way. Uh, and, and, uh, I mean, they're obviously in a similar, uh, position now having played most of their season in Tampa. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, we've, we've tried, tried to help each other out where we can. Yeah. I'm really curious. I, I know everything is sort of up in the air and has been for over a year now. Um, obviously one of the things with professional sports is, um, it's, it's live. There's, there's a gate, there's, there's attendance, there's people there that obviously factors in to the business model. Um, how did you guys react and pivot knowing that, okay, there's, there's, there's no one's going to come in the gates for the year. Um, how, how did you solve for that? Yeah. I mean, it's not, not really something you can solve for in terms of, uh, you know, like replacing that revenue. Um, I think that's just, you know, um, that's an industry issue not, and it's not just a baseball issue. Like it's, you know, some industries have been more impacted than others. Uh, travel, uh, is a hard hit one. Um, and, and live entertainment for, you know, for sure is, uh, is another, I think, um, we, we just kind of pivoted to, especially for us, not, Playing here in Toronto and, and in Canada, we, we pivoted to focusing, among all of the other things, on how do we maintain a connection with our fans? How do we keep people, you know, engaged and feeling connected to the team, even though we're playing in, in Buffalo? Um, so that was that was kind of one of our biggest priorities: is um, how do we and, you know, how do we keep those connections? I think that's true. Again, that's not like a, a Blue Jays thing or a baseball thing. Yeah. I think everyone tried to figure out, like, how do you, like, what is the virtual experience for, you know, our industry and, and for us, for our fan base? And, and uh, so we spent, we spent a lot of time thinking about that. So you guys are going to be playing in Florida. Um, recently, uh, the UFC announced uh, an event in Florida where they're going to have fans in attendance. Uh, and I think from what I've read, um, you know, they're basically going to sell the place. Um, what's, what's the position of the Blue Jays or Major League Baseball in terms of uh, fans in attendance? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's um, for us, it's, you know, health and safety of our players, staff and fans has been at the forefront of all the decisions we've made. Um, so I think, you know, look in the U S there's different, uh, you know, very different, uh, state and local regulations, um, that vary, you know, pretty broad spectrum, right? Yeah. Uh, everything from in Texas where the Rangers have announced they're, uh, they're going to be at full capacity to, um, you know, on the low end, like I think 10% or maybe even lower than that in some cases. And that's just from an NLB standpoint. So the thing that's driving that is, uh, is, you know, different public health authorities, uh, having different viewpoints on, uh, on, on what is safe uh, and effective in their, in their various regions. Um, so for us, what we've been doing in spring training and, and what we'll continue to do, uh, while we're in Florida is, um, we do have some fans in attendance, uh, it, you know, we're following, uh, pretty rigorous health and safety protocols, social distancing, mask wearing, um, and, uh, you know, cleaning and, and sanitate sanitization measures that are, uh, certainly advanced. And, um, I think right now we're about 15% of capacity, uh, at TD ballpark, which is around a thousand fans. Um, and, that that's, you know, that that's basically what will be, um, you know, that might, uh, 
evolve as, as time goes. But, you know, I think for us that that is kind of at the, at the forefront is um, doing things in a way that's uh, first and foremost, safe for everyone um, mm-hmm. and player staff. Interesting. I, I want, I, I don't know whether this falls into your purview because uh, obviously most people know that uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are owned uh, by Rogers. Um, the, the Rogers center um, is, is that a Blue Jays responsibility? Is that a Rogers responsibility? You're talking about like the, the redevelopment reports or just like the operations of the building. Well, I, w- I wanted to ask about what did like, what ha- what was happening last year in the, in the building? What happens this year? Uh, yeah. you know, assuming that you guys play the full season in Florida, um, I'm wondering, you know, who's responsible for that piece of real estate going unused for the most part. Yeah. So that, that falls under, uh, you know, does fall under the Blue Jays. You know, last year we did uh, a few things with the building. The, the biggest one was we did a, a pretty big collaboration with Rogers and um, Food Bank Canada. And uh, we, we actually like packed, uh, received food and packed, um, I think it was 400,000 food hampers um, for, that went to families across Canada. So that was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. There were pallets of food on the field, uh, like the, the turf was taken out, but um, the entire outfield and uh, two major parts of the 100 level concourse were just all pallets of food that we had people in packing uh, food uh, pretty much every day on shifts uh, for, for a few months, uh, putting that together. Um, nice. and, uh, you know, again, this year, um, we'll see what happens. I think it'll be both a function of, um, you know, what that, what the building can be used for that, um, that there's kind of a, a need for, um, in, in, in the community and, uh, when, you know, when we might be back. So those are, those are kind of, uh, those are kind of the considerations. I mean, that I think, I mean, it would be great. Uh, but most things that you would put a building like that to use for, um, in a normal time, like we can't do anyway. So yeah, um, it's, it's looking at things like, yeah, you know, how can we use it for, you know, the things like the food bank or can we use it as, uh, as a vaccine center, you know, those conversations have been had and, um, nice. you know, th- so it's, it's more like, can it be used for those purposes? Cause you can't otherwise thousand people in there for, for some other reason. So that is so true. So let's, let's get to, to the other question that uh, I know a lot of Blue Jays fans um, are, uh, are, you know, they're, they, they're either on one or on the other side of the debate, whether or not, or, or maybe there's more than two sides to this whole debate about what to do with the Rogers center. Um, do you put grass in it or is it impossible for grass to grow on concrete? Um, do you, uh, bury it and either build uh, an outdoor grass turf stadium uh, on top, you know, in that same location, or do you go somewhere else? Um, where where do we sit? What can you what can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, I think you know those all of those questions have been looked at, um, you know, ultimately, and I think um, this has been kind of covered and and commented on, like. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of where we are on, uh, on any kind of redevelopment, like there was, there was some, uh, work being done on evaluating those options before the pandemic. And, you know, frankly, there hasn't been a lot of traction since, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a, there are a few different options that, that you could go all the way from, uh, renovation, uh, within the current footprint to, to something much larger. Is grass and uh, can grass ever be an option in the Rogers Center? It would be tough. So there's there's a few things that would need to happen. One is, uh, you know, if, if we wanted to put grass into Rogers Center today, uh, the the lower bowl is built like half of it is on a suspended slab, right? So like there's a parking lot below it, That's right. um, and and there's no irrigation, so the roof has to close when it rains because there's no like rain drainage in the bowl, it would flood. So 
in order to put grass in, you would need some kind of irrigation and drainage system, which doesn't exist. Um, you know, two, you'd need to be able to have you know, some amount of soil down there. Um, both of which, uh, both of which are, you know, probably solvable, but maybe not cost effectively. And, and the second challenge is growing, uh, growing grass, especially in the winter. Um, but you know, overall, uh, within a covered structure. So like, you know, without being able to get constant sunlight on, on the grass, um, that is a challenge too. So, you know, I know that there was work done on that, you know, investigating different options. Um, but, but that's kind of what would be, that's what it would take. There you go. So for grass to be anywhere, we, we need to have a new, fans would have to hope for a new stadium is, is, is what I'm hearing. I mean, it's, uh, but, but on top of that, right. It's like, if it's a domed stadium, it, it presents challenges yes. um, because of the sunlight. So, um, that, yeah, those are, those are kind of the constraints. Yeah. I, I, I remember going to games, uh, at the old exhibition stadium. Um, and even games at, uh, at BMO field. Uh, it can get cold. The, the, the wind off of the lake is cold. And if you're not, you know, down and sheltered from the wind, um, I, I don't know if, if baseball fans are going to be uh, clamoring to get inside the Rogers Center on a, uh, on a cold April evening or, you know, if, if things make it to, uh, I guess, you know, if, if we're playing in October, people will, uh, will brave any elements, but uh, I could see right. that being a challenge. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it's, you know, the the, the dome is a blessing. Uh, yeah. You know, the, you know, the turf technologies now are, you know, they're not like the the turf from the 80s and 90s. Wow. Um, Just which, basically a carpet. Which was, yeah, I mean, it kind of looked like a green carpet, you know, on, on TV at least. And uh, you know, turf, turf technology today is like some would argue safer or superior grass. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's debatable, but in, in terms of like, you know, the science around, um, impact, uh, and injury, um, it is a very, very different product today than, um, I think, uh, what a lot of, what a lot of the PR focuses on. So, you know, I think that's, that's definitely another element of it as well. Yeah. I want to talk about fans and, and fan experience. Yeah. Um, many, many, many moons ago, I used to work at, uh, at the Rogers Center. Um, and I, I think they used to call these events fan fest. Uh, before the season started, um, you know, be Buck Martinez, would be chatting with uh, Gibby. Um, maybe there was a player there. Um, maybe Cito Gaston was there and, and they would invite, I think they would invite season ticket holders. Um, and I remember working in, in coat check at, at one of these events. And uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me was the age of the attendees. Um, there was literally uh, grandmothers and grandfathers with jean jackets with pins from 1977, um, like, you know, all over there, all over their jacket. And there weren't a lot of kids or youth there. Uh, and, and I'm wondering whether that's something that you look at. Um, was that just my eyes sort of seeing just a few hundred people and not looking at the bigger picture? But I'm curious about how you think of especially with the success of the Raptors, uh, especially with the growth of basketball, with, uh, you know, Canada or Toronto being, you know, Leafs nation first. Uh, how, do, how, do, how do the Blue Jays and how do you think about making baseball attractive to kids and the youth? Yeah, I think uh, it is something we spend a lot of time on. I think it's something that you know, baseball as a sport is, has historically actually been really good at is it's, you know, it is a, uh, one of the more popular, um, you know, amateur, 
uh, youth sports that, that kids participate in. And, uh, you know, for us, it absolutely is a priority for us to think about how are we growing the game? Because I think, you know, even though we're uh, a major team in Toronto, I think we also view ourselves as being the only major league team in Canada as, you know, stewards of the game. And, and we, we actually spend a lot of time and energy on um, efforts focused at growing the game and, uh, and growing the game at the grassroots level. So, um, you know, there's a lot of amateur baseball programming that we put on from, you know, train the trainer, like coaching camps to super camps to, uh, you know, more elite level prospect, um, you know, getting, getting exposure to Canadian prospects, uh, to, to kind of scouts. Um, so that is something that is, that is definitely top of mind for us. I think, um, you know, going back to how are we thinking about families? That's been something that we've thought a lot about. And I think baseball is conducive to, right? Like, you know, there's not a lot of families taking their kids to Raptors games, um, due to, uh, demand and, uh, scarcity of the tickets and the pricing of those tickets. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, I think that's a natural advantage of baseball, like not, not just that it's more affordable, but that, um, it's a sport that lends itself more, uh, to sharing those moments with people and like the actual social interactions, uh, and, and, and multi-generational interactions. So, you know, we've done a lot of kids programming at games as part of the fan experience, you know, junior J's on Sundays is, is one part of that, but, uh, over the last few years introduced, um, more kind of everyday kids, um, activations and programming. Uh, and, you know, going back to the, you know, your original comment around the fan fest, the last, I mean, obviously before, uh, this past off season, the last two off seasons, um, we turned those events into what, you know, what became called Winterfest, which was a day, um, event. It was, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to go, but it turned from, it turned from a season ticket member focus, like, Hey, here's two players. And they'll talk about, you know, you know, maybe Beeston comes out and, uh, talks about some insider info. Uh, to something much bigger. And, it, you know, it, it, you should go check out, you know, some of the video and, and pictures from that. It basically turned the Rogers Center into like a winter carnival for uh, those two days. The entire field had everything from, uh, you know, rides to uh, an a ice surface to uh, a stage where we had like constant programming on it. Um, you know, the entire roster, uh, major league and elite level prospects were here um, and like meeting great opportunities for fans. Um, and it was much more kid centric. Like, you know, there were probably like, I think both days we had, like it was, it was sold out and I don't recall the exact capacity, but I think it was, you know, somewhere, uh, somewhere North of uh, 10,000 fans. I want to say 12,000. Um, and, you know, it was, almost entire, you still had the people in, in the jean jackets, uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. for sure. But, um, you know, there were far more young, uh, parents and, and kids in attendance. And, and, you know, that was something that, uh, this year we did virtually, uh, and it was, it was very successful as well. So, um, it's definitely something that we think about, you know, I think we saw it in 2015 and 16, I think, um, there's something about rooting for, uh, the, the one team in the sport across the country. And, you know, the Raptors have won more recently than we did. Um, you know, but I think we feel, we feel that, uh, especially with, uh, some of the additions that have been made, um, that, uh, that we'll be able to, you know, continue to grow, uh, grow the fan base and hopefully, um, grow the sport. Nice. Ticket, ticket pricing. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, I don't know if it's called surge pricing or premium ticket pricing, uh, but the Blue Jays, um, you know, instituted that here in Toronto. Um, 
how do you guys, I, I'm, you know, I can understand, you know, when the Sox come into town, the Red Sox, uh, when the Yankees come into town, uh, you know, that, you know, it makes sense there to have, you know, sort of premium pricing for, for those games. How do you balance out um, ensuring uh, from a business perspective that uh, you're, you're maximizing revenue opportunities versus uh, ensuring that uh, the product can still be affordable for families? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, um, when you have 50,000 seats, it's not necessarily a, you know, a binary choice. Like you can't achieve both. And, um, that's, that's what we try to do. You know, I think what, what we've tried to do over the last few years with pricing is go from, uh, you know, it is to incorporate those principles around, okay. When, when, you know, demand is higher, prices are higher when demand is lower prices are lower, but also, um, to introduce a much broader variety uh, of options for fans. Um, and that, you know, is both location-based. So where are you, uh, you know, relatively in, in the building and in, in introducing, um, more variability into pricing there to create affordable options. Um, you know, but also to reflect that some areas are, are, you know, pretty in demand, um, especially for some games, but also, you know, thinking about the experiences themselves. So we introduced, uh, over the last couple of years, um, you know, kind of bundled ticket experiences and, and products that were targeted at, at, you know, for example, with families, like, so, um, you could buy, uh, in 2019, you could buy four tickets with, uh, food and like food and beverage options included for families. Um, and, and that was made available at, you know, friendlier prices and, uh, and was addressing one of the pain points that we had, um, heard frequently from families around, you know, it's, uh, it's not only expensive, but also kind of a hassle to bring a family to the ballpark at times, especially when you have young kids. And, and so, um, we've tried to create those differentiated options, um, you know, and, uh, in the end, just that, that's, that's, I think one of the, one of the um, approaches that has been central to, to how we thought about <clears throat> what the fan experience is, is going from um, one, thinking of it as one experience to thinking of it as different people have different reasons for attending. And um, if you're coming with a family, you may want a different experience. And if you're coming with clients um, or if you're coming with friends, um, and I mean, there's many other permutations of that, but for us, what we've tried to do is to think of it from the viewpoint of those fans and say, how do we create, you know, ticket options, food and beverage options, um, and think about, you know, the experience, whether that's promotions or activations or, or anything else that, um, you know, you might come into contact with when you, when you attend a game, how can that be differentiated and, um, tailored to two different audience groups um, because it's never going to be one-to-one personalized, um, you know, in a, in a physical world in the way that you can in, in a digital environment. But um, there's, there's definitely things that we can do. So we focused on, on those things um, and just thought about like what, what creates value for fans, different fan groups. And if we focus on providing those things, um, and, you know, then hopefully we'll, we'll justify whatever the prices are, whether those prices are, um, you know, on the premium end or on the, the more value end of the spectrum. Nice. Do you ever get stadium envy? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> what, are, what are some of your favorites? Um, what are some, I, I mean, I think that, that there's, um, you know, each ballpark has its own unique things that are, uh, that are special, that are, uh, that are unique. And I think, you know, that's part of the charm in baseball in particular, right? It's not, um, it's not like an arena where there probably is an optimal design for an arena that would give you the best, 
you know, flow and, you know, the best, uh, um, sight lines, but you're not in the arena. You're not, you know, experiencing the building. Um, you know, it's not designed for you to walk around and take in the game from different perspectives. And I think that's something that's unique to baseball. And so, you know, I think, uh, there is some charm in the fact that each of the 30 different, you know, major league ballparks are unique. Um, there are some that are like, you know, the more classic ones and the more historical ones that, you know, even though may not be, um, perfect design are like, you would never change like, uh, you know, like a Wrigley or a Fenway. Um, like they are, they are just an experience to go take in a game there. Um, you know, so, I mean, those are like incredibly cool to be in. Um, and, and I think, you know, there are modern ballparks that do a good job at incorporating the history of, you know, the club, um, and connection, you know, to the city, uh, in, in unique ways. Um, there's, there's ballparks that like, you know, do an incredible job at, um, you know, just, just like picturesque, like you're sitting there, like, you know, uh, AT&T park is like that. If you're sitting and just like looking out into the bay, um, you know, in the outfield, it's, it's just like an, uh, that's one of my, you know, favorite, um, ballparks for that reason is, um, it's just pretty cool to be able to like look out into the ocean and then, you know, look down on the field and, and, and watch professional baseball. Um, you know, and, and then I think that there's, you know, some, I haven't been to, uh, you know, I haven't been to all 30. Um, I'm, very interested to see the one that was just built in Texas, uh, for the Rangers globe life. Um, but also like, you know, I think PNC park is, uh, is an incredible, uh, ballpark because it is just, you know, it's so simple, but it gets so many things right, you know, along the different elements that I talked about. So there's a lot, you know, but I think it's not that I would look at one and say like, that's, you know, that is the, that is the ballpark. It's more that I, you know, appreciate the, the unique things that, that different ballparks do well. Yeah. Uh, some have certainly more things they do well than others, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think, I think there's something special about each ballpark. Yeah, that's for sure. You Are there certain things? Oh, I wish we had that. I wish we had that. You know, sort of pick and choose what you want and bring it to Toronto. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like, you know, the Rogers Center is great for many reasons. Um, you know, location certainly um, is is one of them. Uh, and, and the dome is one of them that we've touched on. But I think the thing with the thing that I would say that Rogers Center, I would add to is it was designed in an era that there's, you know, maybe one other uh, in Oakland ballpark that was built as a multi-purpose ballpark. <clears throat> and, and so a lot of the things that, you know, I talked about being able to and taking different vantage points and especially more modern uh, ballparks, just different types of seating options. Um, right. Like not just 50,000 of the exact same blue seat, um, which is, which is, I would say the one thing I would love to change is like, you know, 50,000 seats would be great. But like, if, you know, some of those were, um, you know, more open spaces or, or some of the, some of that capacity was, you know, different types of seating, um, that allowed, you know, for different types of, uh, of, of interactions, you know, socially, like there's definitely, um, there's definitely, uh, some of those seats that are great seats and you wouldn't change, but, you know, more social spaces, uh, and, and more, uh, you know, more differentiated seating options, I think would be, would be one thing that I would add. Um, and that we've looked to try to do in smaller ways. Nice. I'm curious about this because I've had to stop myself as, as we're chatting. Does anyone at the Blue Jays call it the Skydome? 
Um, I mean, probably not in. in <laughs> no way. I, I've so badly wanted to just to name, <laughs> call it that, which is weird because I remember when when the, the name first came up, people are going, what? The Sky Dome? And then, you know, when it changed over to Rogers Center, people are saying, I refuse to call it the Rogers Center. It's a Sky Dome. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that happens. You know, I caught myself saying ACC. I still do. Um, yeah. you know, I think that's that's pretty natural. Um, whenever there's a whenever there's a transition, you know. But for us, it's funny when you ask me that question. I would, you know, I thought about it, and at least when uh, we were all working in Rogers Center, <laughs> see, you have uh, to stop yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, you know, we haven't been doing that in a while. Um, but when, you know, when you're working in the building, we were, uh, you never refer to it as, you know, you would just say here, uh, but yeah, no. Um, but Hey, I, I, I do know a lot of people that still call it that. I think it's also unique, right. Because of, you know, of the nature of the fact that, you know, it was, you know, the contest and it wasn't a commercial, uh, it wasn't like a naming rights approach. It was a sky dome, like, you know, it was, uh, so I think, you know, for many of those reasons, I think, uh, um, that, and, and the fact that it was a, you know, historic and iconic building at the time that that name in particular is, uh, is one that people will, will, will not likely move on from as fast. Yeah. That's so true. You know, as another building that's like, you know, uh, a sponsored. Yeah. yeah. What's next for Anouk? Short-term, long-term? Do you see yeah. yourself ever going uh, to the other side in baseball ops? I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, ha- I, mean, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think, uh, you know, there was, uh, there's definitely points in my career where I spent more time thinking about what's next rather than what am I doing now or how is what am I doing now helping me do the next thing? Like my time here has been the time with the Blue Jays has been, you know, incredible learning opportunity. Um, I've not felt, you know, bored uh, and I felt constantly challenged and not, you know, not just in the work, but like working with a group of people that I just legitimately enjoy working with. Um, and so yeah. I mean, I haven't honestly like haven't spent time on that. Um, there's definitely lots of possibilities. I think, especially in the last year, maybe I haven't even had time to think about that. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of things that I would want to accomplish um, now and in this role that in the next, you know, 24 months are, are going to be, you know, more fulfilling than anything else I could think about doing. So, you know, not just getting through this season, but, you know, hopefully setting ourselves up for when we have fans back in attendance um, at Rogers Center and um, we're able to build on and incorporate a lot of the learnings that we've, uh, that we've acquired over the last year. And, you know, even going into 2020, uh, you know, initially I was, um, there were a lot of things I was excited about that we were going to be, you know, testing out or trying. And, um, so I'm, so I'm excited about a lot of that stuff. You know, I think, um, you know, maybe once, uh, once we're back and hopefully back to normal, uh, you know, in, at some point in the future, uh, I think, and, and, and some of the things that I'm thinking about, um, that are on the list of things to do or done, then, uh, you know, maybe I'll start thinking about the future, but, sure. um, yeah, no, right now, honestly, like, uh, it's, um, it's not something I've, I've spent time on. So just between you and me, what are some of these things that you've been thinking about? In terms of, of like what we would want to see done there. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, um, so a lot, I mean, a lot of things related to the fan experience, like, you know, how do we, you know, how, how like, so how do we actually accomplish some of the things I was talking about, differentiated experience, um, and uh, one that is a compelling reason for people to come, you know, I think, like, we've thought about 
like, especially in, in the last few years when, you know, the team wasn't winning as much as uh, it was in certainly 15 and 16, how, like on the business side, our, our, one of our jobs is to think about how do we create a, an experience that brings people to the ballpark outside of the wins and the losses, um, you know? And so, you know, there were, there, there's, there's been a lot of things that we've been trying to test um, you know, last in 2019, we, we rolled out, uh, uh, like a value menu that was called dugout deals. It was like $5, everything. I don't know if you remember that, including beer. Um, we've been testing a lot of things and I think, um, it was kind of more along the lines of that. Like, how do we bring in more local food and beverage options? Um, that that's clearly something people want. How do we find a way to do that? How do we create more flexible and, and uh, you know, different ticket options, ticket experiences, um, things that are, you know, bundled tickets that, you know, it's, it's not just a ticket. It might be like food or beverage or, you know, something even broader than that. Um, and then thinking about the building itself, you know, like there, there's, there's some things in the building that, um, are, are things that we've changed over time. Uh, you know, this, the, the off season. So in 2020, we took out in the 100 level, um, if you recall in the outfield, there's, there used to be, you know, above the floor level, there was like four or five or six rows of seats, um, all along the outfield. Like we took all of those out and those are all like bar rail now. So if you walk out in the outfield, um, it's kind of like WestJet flight deck. There's a bar rail and right. feel from the 100 level. Like our fans have not seen that other than, you know, in, uh, in the one winter fest we did before, uh, in, in 20, early 2020. Um, but it's just thinking of, of those opportunities of, um, even within, you know, even within the, the constraints of, you know, the building that we have, there's opportunities to, just create differentiated experience and, and to move ourselves along uh, the spectrum towards uh, some of the things I talked about, both the things that I like in, in ballparks. Yeah. Um, but also the things that are important from a, from an experience standpoint. Nice. So before we ended off Anouk and again, thanks so much for, for, for spending uh, an hour with me today. Really appreciate it. Tell me something most people don't know about you. Uh, that's a good one. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, most people, I try to be transparent. So hopefully there's not, you know, too many things. Um, I guess something that people find amusing uh, or interesting is um, I did uh, in, when was this? Probably about 10 years ago. I did a, a bunch of classes at Second City um, improv and stand-up comedy. So, uh, you know, on, on, on the stand-up, I, I ended up doing like a five-minute set uh, at Absolute Comedy. And there's a video somewhere out there, hopefully, that will never surface uh, of me doing that. So uh, not many people know, uh, not many people have seen that. Uh, some people know about that, but... Um, I guess, you know, I guess that's one thing. We're all going to, we're all going to run to a YouTube now. <laughs> Hopefully you'll find it. And search. It's funny you say, like, did you, did you do that as a way of, you know, knowing uh, or believing where your career was going to go? You wanted to be comfortable speaking in public and thinking on your feet. Was it one of those or were you a comedy fan? It's actually both. Um, you know, uh, I'm a huge comedy fan. I think, you know, it's one of my favorite, uh, art forms, I would say. Um, okay. you know, so that was, that was definitely part of it, but it was also like, I was, you know, it was earlier in my career and I had thought about like, you know, do I want to like, should I do Toastmasters? And, um, somebody told me, you know, improv is better training, for situations you find yourself in, in a work environment then, you know, and, and I think even having now gone through it and, and having thought of it, I think, you know, it's even more important than, than just public speaking. 
because in improv, I don't know if you've, you've ever done any improv, like one of the basic principles of improv is, is a concept of yes. And, um, you know, if, if somebody says something, if we're in a sketch and, you know, I say, Oh, that's, that's a nice hat you have on. Um, one of the first things they teach you in improv is like, you need to respond with yes. And not like, what do you mean? I'm not wearing a hat. Like you kind of shut down, you'll shut down the sketch if you reject the idea. So it, um, that concept to me is, is one that applies in, you know, even in just in normal human interactions, like, uh, it, it's, it's just like accepting what somebody throws at you. Um, and if you want to add to it, you add to it, but you know, don't try to shut it down. Um, and in, in addition to that, you know, obviously thinking on your feet, reacting quickly, um, and to do that, I mean, it's, it's incredibly fun. We've done that. I did that when we came to the blue Jays, um, you know, we did, a we had like a leadership team meeting and, um, we actually spent like, you know, the first hour of, of one of those just doing improv. It's, it's, uh, it's a great way to get people comfortable with each other, break the ice. Um, and you really have to be vulnerable when you're doing improv. Like there's no, you know, if, if you aren't, you can't really engage and be a part of sketch. Like you're putting yourself out there, like you're being silly and you can't like really have any inhibitions to do it well. Um, so it's such a cool tool. I mean, I didn't think of any of this at the time. I just thought like, yeah, I kind of like comedy and this seems like a cool thing to do. And yes. I did one improv class and I ended up doing five improv classes and, uh, and did the stand up comedy. But, you know, now in, in retrospect, thinking about it, it's, it's such a, um, it's such a like cool and, and, and applicable skill set tool, um, to, to many different situations. Was that stand-up part of the improv class? No, it was a separate class that I did. You know, I finished the improv ones and, and I was like, I, I love stand-up, um, you know, and uh, I was, you know, I, I had more free time on my, uh, on my hands then than I do now. And I yeah. thought, well, I'll give it a shot. Wow. I think it's interesting. The last Blue, I believe, the last Blue Jay game I went to was uh, at Yankee Stadium, and I think it was near the end of the season. It might have been, I think it was 2019. Um, obviously, 20, yeah, it has to have been 2019. Because uh, every late September, early October, I find myself, outside of last year, in New York City for work. Uh, and I try to go to a baseball game. And it just so happened that that year, uh, the Jays, I think the Jays, it might, maybe it was the last series of the season but the Jays were playing in New York and I, and I went to, I went to, I went to that game. Uh, and every time I go to New York, I must go uh, to the comedy cellar. Uh, yeah. I, I try to get, you know, tickets to, uh, to see Colbert uh, or to see Trevor Noah, but I definitely will go uh, to the cellar. Um, and it has always been a dream of mine to, to do a routine even if it's five minutes just to do it because it's, it nags on me that, I, that, yeah. that it's there and it. I'm too scared to do it. You know, it's, it's funny. Like most people that don't watch much stand up think that, you know, it's okay. Like you guys are pretty talented and it's easy, but like, you know, when you actually force yourself to write the material, like I felt like I must've written <clears throat> like an hour worth of, material or more to get to like five minutes of stuff that I felt like I could use. Wow. Um, and then I felt was funny and, you know, it really gives you like a, a new appreciation for, um, you know, guys that like the superstar guys that have like three, four five hours of, of really good material. It's like, wow, that's like, you know, they must've spent countless hours and, uh, years refining uh refining that and and getting it into kind of a cohesive uh routine so um yeah you should do it yeah so it's funny i was um there's an actor he's in um uh he has a recurring role in the uh netflix series the umbrella academy um his name is ken hall he's a canadian and 
I had him on this podcast in November. And uh, he his background is in sketch and he has a, a long running sketch uh, uh, duo. Um, and he said, Kareem, just just get a, a notebook and just start jotting down stuff. So it's my joke notebook. Uh, <laughs> I've got like five points in here. But uh, maybe it's an excuse, but I, th- I think after the pandemic, uh, I'll register for for a stand up class or uh, yeah. joke writing class or something. Do it. Yeah. I mean, the good, the best thing about the class was like, it, it forced you to do the work, right? It yeah. was like, okay, like your homework is whatever you like, you're on the bus and you see something funny, you write it in your book. And like some of those turn into jokes and it was just the forcing function of doing that, that, um, was probably the, the biggest thing. Uh, so yeah, definitely, Definitely. It's an, you know, it's an experience and uh, I'm glad I did it. I wanted to do another one, but I just never kind of found the time to, to write more, but uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that I did do it once. Awesome. Anuk, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to do it, man. Well, thanks for having me on.